listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, it's your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Monday, the 25th of October 2021. Later, something that's called the Great Resignation. Why as many as one in three people plan to leave their jobs over the next 12 months. But first, we'll be talking about Telstra. It is purchasing the Pacific Communications assets of Digitel. It's a company which operates in small nations in the Pacific, including Papua New Guinea and Fiji, for example, with around two and a half million customers. But Telstra got a bit of help getting that company because it is paying around $270 million, but there's a huge contribution from the government via, uh, through its Export Finance Australia unit of $1.33 billion. Now, some suggest it's to stop China from expanding its hold on regional infrastructure. So for more, I spoke earlier with Telstra's CEO, Andy Penn. Andy, firstly, what kind of value does this asset bring to Telstra and for its investors? Yeah, no, thanks very much, Ricardo. It's a really exciting day to be announcing this investment in Digicel. It's a very um, successful business. It's got a number one position in every market it operates in the Pacific region other than Fiji, where it's a solid number two. Uh, it delivers $233 million uh, US dollars in terms of EBITDA and 54% EBITDA margin. So it's an attractive business that offers us growth and we've been able to secure a, uh, a very effective funding and risk management package uh, in partnership with the government. Uh, in terms of that partnership with the government, how important was that funding and would it have happened without it? Well, look, I think the way to think about it is that, um, you know, we make decisions about how much capital we allocate and we absolutely um, were prepared and um, supportive of allocating a certain amount of capital to this, but uh, it needed to be the, the minor proportion of the overall acquisition price, which is not a comment on the valuation. It's more just a comment on our capital allocation process and how much we would be prepared with directed this in international investment as distinct from other parts of our business. And just finally, there are reports that this deal is a way of halting China to gain access to strategic assets within the region, was it? Well, look, that's, uh, you know, our reasons for investing are basically because it's commercially attractive. It offers us long-term uh, growth potential. Obviously, the government's supporting because the region's important to the government. But in terms of their specific reasons, that's really a matter that um, you need to address with them. Andy Penn there. And I did address it with them. And I spoke earlier with the Minister for Trade, Tourism and Investments, Dan Tien. Uh, what this investment was all about was, from a Telstra point of view, a, a commercial decision to invest in the in the Pacific. Uh, from an Australian government point of view, it was about supporting a company that wants to invest in the Pacific as part of our Pacific step up. We're trying to encourage good, responsible investing in the Pacific because that's how the Pacific will continue to grow and develop and that's the best thing we can do for the people of the Pacific. So that was what drove the government in supporting Telstra in its decision to buy this company. Dan Tien there, the Minister for Trade, Tourism and Investments. Now, the share market liked it because investors uh, bought the stock shares in Telstra up by about 2.1% today. It happens on a day with the broader market rose 0.3%. The S&P A six two hundred at 7,441. For his reaction first on this deal by Telstra with the government, I spoke with George Baburis from K2 Asset Management. 
Yeah, hi Ricardo. It's a, look, it's it's a great asset for uh, for Telstra in that it's it's in their wheelhouse. It's basically what they do for the Australian sort of customer base. Uh, it's quite small acquisition size relative to where the business is in Australia, but um, but it's really a really good risk-free way of doing it because of the support from the government. They get two and a half thousand additional customers in the South Pacific, which is quite has a long-term alignment with Australia and New Zealand. Uh, there's there's been a generational alignment in different parts of businesses and banking and the like. So this is a natural extension to uh, to engage in the telecommunication uh, sector. What do you make about the way it was funded, though, especially with that big injection from the government? What does it say about how important this deal is? Yeah, on one level, it says it's a strategic asset from the government, without a doubt, because of the Belt and Road Initiative from China. There's that elephant in the room that has to be discussed. And this is a really clever move. But from a Telstra shareholder, it is all the risks, a lot of them have been removed. For example, it's a combination of debt and equity. The $270 million of equity, uh, US dollars that uh, Telstra will put up, that's a cost recovery through dividends in six years. That's very good. The debt component is obviously backed by the government. So for Telstra shareholders, this is a very good deal. Obviously, from the government, this is a strategic asset for Australia and uh, New Zealand governments to have closer ties in the telecommunication industry within the South Pacific, which is essential for the decade ahead. Uh, But most importantly, uh, you know, priority number one for a Telstra shareholder, a very good deal. The broader market is higher today. Why? A broader market's higher today, combination of factors, but they're just gauging where the tapering is going to start in the US and when the interest rate hikes are going to start next year. They're also trying to gauge where the slowdown in the Chinese economy from the housing sector. So the market's a, it's a wait and see approach and it's just trying to gauge when the stimulus is going to be taken away at the end of 22 or the end of 23. So it's a bit of a bit of a holding pattern at the moment. Later this week, we get the official inflation numbers out for Australia. We know that inflation starting to run hot globally. How are you factoring in that as how you invest in the markets at the moment? Yeah, difficult. There's two schools of thoughts, whether it's structural or it's going to continue or it's a temporary and transitionary. It, basically, it's a little bit of both. The way to invest is if you're invested into property assets, you need people to be able to renegotiate contracts. Equities are generally reasonable hedges for higher inflation. Cash and nominal bonds are not traditionally. And then the the private equity and direct asset and infrastructure market, uh, depending which assets you're talking about, are beneficiaries of it. And then there's also the ultimate hedge with gold as well. But the point is that the the debates out whether it's uh, whether this is runaway inflation because of the supply constraints of course from one quarter to the other for different reasons, price pressures. So we just have to wait through to, you know, gotta give it a couple of quarters and watch what the central banks are telling us and the guidance they're giving. George Babura is there from K2 Asset Management. Let's switch pace now and talk about the employment market because our new survey from financial services company PwC says people are seeking to quit their jobs at scale and pace. It says 38% say they plan to leave their jobs over the next 12 months. So that will have implications for businesses and, of course, for the economy. So for more, I spoke with PwC's Future of Work lead, Ben Hamer. Ben, to what extent are Australian workers looking to leave their organisation and how does that compare historically? 
Yeah, so our recent studies showed that 38% of Australian workers are looking to leave their organisation in the next 12 months, uh, which is pretty huge, particularly when we look back to 2019, where employee turnover started around 10.9%. And then in the last 18 months, where we've seen historically low mobility in the labour market, which means not too many people changing jobs. So it's a textbook calm before the storm type of situation. Why do you think this is happening? There are a range of reasons why. Um, I think there's the usual suspect where just needs aren't being met for employees and it's unsurprising um, with the pace of change being so significant that some organisations just aren't keeping up. But then there are a few uh, circumstantial uh, things at play as well. So there's, uh, from a psychological perspective, individuals looking to regain a sense of control after lockdown um, and changing jobs comes into play there. Um, people are restless um, and people have used the last little while as a period of introspection where they pause and reflect on what they really want. Um, but I think the key thing here for workers is that in our study, we saw that those who have changed jobs already in the last 12 months, the majority of them are already looking at changing in the next 12 months again. Um, so there's that whole situation of where the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Still, if people are looking at changing their jobs at such a high rate, what does this mean for businesses and the economy, especially at a time when we're seeing a skill shortage and international borders closed? Yeah, well, this is all happening at the same time as record high job vacancies within Australia, which is mainly driven by the, the border closures that you just mentioned. And what this is resulting in is the balance of power shifting from the employer to the employee. So a worker's negotiating power will go up and organisations will then really need to step it up when it comes to keeping top talent. And how are employees feeling about their employers? Yeah, it's a really interesting story at the moment because uh, what our study found was that employees are reporting that they're feeling trusted and engaged, which is a really positive uh, news story. But at the same time, they're still looking at leaving their jobs. Um, and so while engagement would have traditionally meant organisational loyalty in the past, it's a new ballgame now and it isn't stopping workers from looking elsewhere. Um, and from our study, we also revealed really clear preferences around what workers want. Okay. So I guess one of the key things for employers, what can they do to retain employees in this kind of environment? Yeah, it can be challenging to know what workers want because there are so many studies out there that present conflicting things, um, which is why we pulled together our study, which captures everything um, and got workers to, to force them to make trade-offs to reveal true preferences. So there are a couple of things around what workers want that came out loud and clear. Um, the first one, they want to be paid fairly. The second is that they want to work for an organisation that values their well-being, which includes work-life balance. And then the other is something that is super simple, but it just comes down to people wanting to work with other good people. So given one of the key ones is uh, they want to be paid fairly, right? There's this, um, we, we're not really seeing wage rises over the past few years. The Reserve Bank's wanting to see our wages to climb before it lifts interest rates. So is there the potential for us to start seeing these increases in wages now? Yeah, absolutely. So in Australia, we've had um, historically quite low wage growth over the last recent period, um, but we will see pay rises over the near term and wage growth, particularly as competition for talent heats up. And with that balance of power sitting with the employee, workers will seek more money. 
Um, though I think this will start to soften once international borders do start to open and the number of vacancies do start to settle down. Um, the other caution in this is that we know that the war for talent can't just be solved by throwing money at people. So we'll see wage growth, but we'll also see uh, things like wellbeing and flexibility um, really becoming front and centre of what organisations offer their workers as well. Ben Hamer there from PwC. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decisions.